Good morning and happy Father's Day. <laughs> my encouragement is just to the men. Um, I just had this phrase that stuck in my spirit, stand up and stand tall. And that's not so easy in this day and age. I just want to encourage you with the following scripture from um, Amplified in Ephesians 6. In conclusion, be strong in the Lord. Draw your strength from Him and be empowered through your union with Him. And in the power of His boundless might, so stand firm and hold your ground, having tightened the white belt of truth, personal integrity and moral courage around your waist, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, an upright heart, and having strapped your feet with a gospel of peace in preparation to face the enemy with a firm-footed stability and a readiness produced by the good news, above all, lift up the protective shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Amen. We should release another word. I love how the Lord is working. She said, stand firm. This word says, stand firm. I was reading about Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both legs. Um, He was Saul's grandson. And King David was looking how he could show the Lord's kindness to somebody from Saul's family. And they brought Mephibosheth. And though he was crippled in both legs, King David gave him a seat at the table, said, come, you're going to eat with me. You're going to eat at the king's table, even though he was crippled. And some of you might be feeling quite crippled. Maybe you've been crippled by painful things, by painful circumstances. You're like, I don't deserve but the crumbs. But the king of kings is saying, come and sit with me. Come to my table and sit with me. Even though you're crippled, there is a place for you. So stand firm because he's the healer of the crippled. Amen. I just felt in my spirit to, that it's an appropriate place to respond to both the words that we had shared from the ministry like this morning. And I've just been aware just of God's heart for men. So I'm going to ask all the men, not just fathers, all the men, young and old, if you wouldn't mind standing this morning. I, this wasn't planned, but I really just feel in my spirit that the Lord is wanting to stir something. There's a lot in our society that's being said about toxic masculinity. Now the answer to toxic masculinity is not no masculinity, it is righteous masculinity. Am Am I right in saying that? God created you a man for a special reason and for a purpose. It is not by accident that you are a man. And I just feel in the spirit that this is a time where the Lord is saying, like he said this morning, be strong, be courageous in who God has made you to be, a righteous man, a man that shows the love of God through your particular masculinity. So can I ask that we just speak a blessing over the men here today? Is that okay? Can we do that? So every man that is joining us online also, those that are on the radio, This includes you. So stretch out a hand towards the men. And let's, Father, we thank you that in your wisdom, you created a humanity, male and female. And we thank you for that. We celebrate that. We know, Lord, that you gave to men a specific way to represent you, and you gave to women a specific way. And we thank you for that total picture. But today, Lord, we want to speak over our men. And we, tr- and we speak over them this word, Lord. Be strong and be courageous. 
Do not shrink back. Do not step back in your masculinity. But allow the Lord to walk with you to show you what righteous, godly masculinity looks like and expresses itself. Because this world needs more men to love the way men love. And we speak that over the men in our community in Jesus' name, by the power of the Spirit. And we all agree together and we say, Amen, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Well, it's, it really is a joy to be together uh, this morning. And uh, I want to share a word that, that is the to impact is the title of our, the message this morning in our To Gather series. And I, I'm sharing this word with you. And in, in a sense, I want to pay honor to a, a man that has, I often gleaned such wisdom from, and that's Tim Keller, who recently passed away, the pastor from the Redeemer Church in New York City. And uh, he lived his life you know, so well, and even in his death, he honored the Lord. And he preached a message on this in 2009, and I've taken a lot from that message and, and, and want to share that this morning. And so I honor him and thank the Lord for the gift that he was in so many ways to the body of Christ all over the world. I want you to go with me to Hebrews 13. We've been on a journey as a, in the series of community, and I think there's two objectives that we try to stir to think about in this series in community. It's first of all, how do we be a community that reflects who God is? So when we're talking about community, we know that we're not talking about community merely on the human level of what it is that we as human beings naturally want and do in community. But we're trying to say we, we want to understand what it means to be a, a bit of a supernatural community. A community that is not about our needs and who we are, but it's about how do we reflect who God is? And secondly, it's how do we have the strength to show godly community to the world? And that's by the power of the Spirit. So there's been this thinking through how do we reflect who God is as a community? And how do we practically do that in the world that we are living in? And so today I want to talk particularly about how, how is it possible for us to show to the world who God is? And there's a biblical concept that you find throughout Scripture. It's, it's entrenched in the Old Testament, and it's entrenched in the New Testament. It's one of those things that I think the writers of the Scripture often took for granted because it was within their culture and in their context so prevalent that we don't find that many actual teachings about it, but it was something that was like part of faith. If you were a Christian, you did this thing and you did it well. But here we do find a scripture in the writer, where the writer of the Hebrews is writing to this community. And remember, the Hebrews is not a coffee reference. I know some people think that that means Hebrews. It means to the people of the Hebrew descendants. Okay, And so he's writing to the Hebrews, and particularly people with a Jewish background, and he's wanting to elevate this value, this spiritual discipline of hospitality. And so let's read in Hebrews 13 and verse 1 to 3. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. So right from, you know, on, from the word go, we know he's talking within the context of community. He's saying, as a community, we must love each other. But then he goes a step further. He says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. 
For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are ill-treated as if you yourself were suffering. Now, in the context of the day, this word hospitality was a loaded word. It had a lot of meaning and a lot of practice associated with it. It was really part of both the Greek way of living and the Greek lifestyle, as well as the Jewish community had an understanding of hospitality. The Greek word that is used here in Hebrews 13 for that we translate hospitality is the Greek word philoxenia. Philoxenia. And it literally means to love the stranger or the love of the foreigner. To love the foreigner. Now we have a word that we know a bit better, a Greek word, that is the opposite of that. And it's the word xenophobia. So the opposite of philoxenia, which is the love of the other, is xenophobia, which is the fear or the hatred of the other. And we have some experience in our nation and in our context about xenophobia. The writer of the Hebrews is saying to a Christian community, do not forget to love the foreigner, to love the other, to love the outsider, to make space for the outsider. In the, in the day and in the time, there was a very clear system and thought and practice of hospitality that you will often see referenced in the scripture as they tell some of the scriptural stories. We must remember that traveling in those days, for instance, is a bit different than traveling is today. Traveling today is comparatively easy. We have hotels all over the world. We have hotel chains that you can go and live at. We have secure travel. But in those days, traveling was a high-risk exercise and a very difficult thing to do. Not many people actually traveled outside of their province for a number of reasons. First of all, as we see sometimes the scripture references, for instance, in the story of the Good Samaritan, that when you were traveling, you were highly uh, susceptible to being attacked and robbed on the roads because that was just what happened. The other thing that made travel really difficult is there weren't really places where you could stay. So there were inns, as we see in the story of Jesus' birth, that, that you did find. But there weren't those many inns or hotels or motels. And often the ones that you find mostly were not places of good reputation. If you stayed in an inn, it was likely that you were going to get robbed and you're going to, you're going to bump into prostitutes. It's the way it was done in those days. So it wasn't easy to travel. It was difficult. It was risky. And so one of the ways they dealt with that in the in those days is through a system of hospitality. So it became part of culture. The Greeks had this strong philoxenia culture, but the Jews also had this very strong biblical understanding of hospitality. And so it was expected that you could, as you were traveling, that you would go to a town and that somebody would show you hospitality and offer you a place to spend the night. It was sort of the way it was done in those days. And they had a quite clear understanding of how hospitality functioned. So hospitality had four steps to it in the day, for a traveler, for instance. There was invitation, there was screening, there was hosting, and there was departing, were the four steps that everybody understood was involved with hospitality. So the first of all, it was the invitation. So normally what happened, and you'll see this often mentioned in Scripture, but it's sort of mentioned, matter of fact, 
but we don't even often understand why, what it mentions. Is So I'm traveling, and I'm going from point A to point B, and let's say along the way I'm passing past a town. Now, those weren't the days of the internet, so people were not connected with one another. You generally knew people in your own town and province, you know, within walking distance. So the moment you traveled beyond that, you entered into a stage where you were the foreigner or the stranger. You hardly knew people outside of your direct space. So now I'm traveling and I want to get to a certain place, but I'm passing through a town. It's late afternoon. I need to find a space to stay the evening so that I can carry on traveling the next day. What you would do is you would go and stand outside of a gates of a town or a city. Or perhaps at the well that was close to the outside of the city or town. And you would literally go sit there and wait. And then it was understood that somebody that lives within the town would eventually come up to you and say, are you a traveler? Do you need a place to stay? And if they were able to or felt so, it was expected that somebody would invite you to come and spend the night with them. That was the system of hospitality. So the first stage was invitation. You would just sit around waiting till somebody comes and invites you to come and spend the night with them. Then the second step kicked in, which was screening. Now, if I'm inviting you into my house as a stranger, a foreigner, I want to make sure that you're just a stranger and not an enemy. And so there would be a little bit of a conversation to screen. Are you coming in with bad intentions or are you just needing a space to stay? Are you going to come in and try and you know, spy on us, spy the, the city, the town? Or are you going to come and actually be like the Trojan horse was a story in Greek that caused a great furor in terms of hospitality because they were invited in, but they actually came in to destroy and to take over. And so are you coming to take over our city? And so you'd have a conversation with the person to try and determine. Now what they would sometimes do as travelers is they'd carry credentials with them. Perhaps you could have a letter from some well-known respected person that could say, I know so and so and I vouch for them that they are a trustworthy person. Or something like that, it would help your cause, it would help the screening. But you'd have to find a way to convince the person that you're a safe person. Now, their approach was not suspicious of everybody, but actually, you know, they had to find reason why they wouldn't allow you in, because otherwise they'd allow you in. And so then the, invi then the invitation, the screening, the next step was the hosting. Now, it was expected quite clearly, everybody understood this is how it works. If I've now screened you and I invite you to come and spend the time with me and come and live with me, that that meant I would give you a place to sleep, I would give you a comfortable bed, I would give you a nice meal, not the baked beans at the bottom of the cupboard that nobody wants to eat. I would put up a nice meal for you and a, a good meal and I could even have a banquet for you and invite friends and I, I would treat you well and then I would give you an opportunity to bath, to bathe, to clean yourself to whatever extent I can. Those three things were expected and so that was the hosting. Then the departure was the fourth step in this process. If I'm being welcomed into your home to come and stay the night with you, my part of the deal was I will leave in the morning. <laughs> now, it was a bit more than that. I wouldn't steal your stuff. You know, I wouldn't be an unkind you know, guest or anything. But the real thing is I will leave. 
Now, in most cases, you stayed one night. That was the understood protocol. You stayed one night. If in extreme situations, you could be offered to stay a second night, but never a third night. You left. You thanked the host for their kindness, you and you left. How many of you think that helps to have that kind of understanding? And so that was the commonly practiced idea of hospitality. So now we come back to Hebrews 13. If it was so commonly practiced in the time and understood, why does the writer of a biblical text find the need to tell a community to not forget hospitality to strangers? And then he actually carries on for the next 15 verses to write about this. And I'm going to touch on some verses. Because what the writer of the Hebrews is doing here is he's saying, this is a very common practice, but I want to take you deeper. I want to take you to a greater level of hospitality. I want to show you that as Christians, we should actually be more hospitable than what the culture asks of us. And then he's going to provide reasons for that. Now, the first thing he says is, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Who of you can remember what he's possibly referring to? There's a specific event that happened in the scripture that he refers to. That he's, remember, he's writing to Jewish people, Hebrews. They know these stories. And there's a story that they'll remember where this actually happened. How many of you know what story I'm talking about? In Genesis 18, there was a day, the scripture tells us. Abraham was sitting outside of his tent. The scripture says it was the heat of the day. It was the Middle East. It was hot. And he was sitting out there, you know, having a cold one, whatever that cold one was, and uh, just relaxing. And then he noticed that down, just a, a little bit away from his tent, in the trees, there were three men standing there. And so Abraham jumped up. The scripture takes quite care to express to us his activity. He jumped up. He ran down to them. And he said, please come to my tent. I want to give you some water. And so they, they agree. They say, okay, we're going to come. And so they come to the tent. But now he runs ahead of them. Before they get to the tent, he runs, finds a servant. He says, quickly, you need to get some meat. You need to go and prepare some meat for the travelers to eat. Then he goes into his house. He says to his wife, you need to make some bread. You need to bake stuff. And so by the time the guys get to the, the tent, there's, there's a whole hive of activity happening because they are now going to be spoiled. They came just for water, but they're going to get a whole lot more. And so it's in this that they're now having a conversation because, you know, he said quickly, but quickly wasn't Uber Eats or something. You know, quickly was, it took a while to slaughter, to kill something, to drain the blood, to bake stuff. So they had a couple of hours that they were sitting chatting outside. And it's in this time where one of the men says, where's your wife? And he says, no, she's in the tent. And I, I'm, I'm sure you all know this about tents. They're not really soundproof. So she could hear the conversation. Now she's being included in the conversation, even though she's in the tent. And, and they, they say, by this time next year, we, your wife will be pregnant. And what was Sarah's response? She watched a YouTube video of a cat dancing or something. She had a good laugh. Now, we don't have to talk about that. But it turns out that those three men were angels. So the Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews reaches for that story and he says, remember to be hospitable because... In so doing, some of you may end up entertaining angels. Now, let's think about this. 
Is he saying that we should be hospitable because heaven has a special group of angels? They're little round, little portly. And their job description as amongst the heavenly ranks of angels is to walk the earth to test people to see if they will find hospitality. And, and they're going around and, and our, we must be hospitable because by accident we're going to have one of these angels coming into our house. Is that what he's saying? Or is he saying there are these nice round little angels that walk around and they carry special gifts and blessings with them. And if you remember to be hospitable, perhaps you'll get an opportunity to have one of them in your house and they will bless you. Now commentators are pretty unanimous in this and saying that's not what he's talking about. Because that would be against the heart of hospitality. Because the heart of hospitality that the Bible is trying to, to encourage is a heart of hospitality that's not about personal gain. It's about the other. So if I'm starting to entertain people because I hope that they're an angel, I'm, it's actually about me. But what is the writer of the Hebrews doing? He is reaching for a story and he's saying, I think this is what he's trying to say. He's saying, through hospitality, you do not know the opportunity it might open up for you. You don't know what God can do, what can happen in a moment of hospitality. One of the commentators says this, that he's possibly doing something of, a sacri of sacramental nature. Do you know what a sacrament is? We, we have sacraments. Sacraments is communion, for instance. Baptism is a sacrament. Now, when we have communion, we take ordinary grape juice. The same grape juice that you can buy at any of the local stores. It's not special grape juice made in a special way, on a special place, flown in special planes, coming in special boxes. It's normal grape juice. It has absolutely no spiritual power whatsoever. It will ser not serve you to find out what brand we use and then to use it at home, thinking that you're going to get some special blessing. It's normal grape juice. With no I mean, we now get these little fancy crackers, but we used to just buy cream crackers and break them up, and then you would get a cream cracker. It's normal. But those very normal elements in the context of communion become something more valuable. That's their sacramental power. It is when God takes normal things and uses them for godly purposes. That's sacraments. And so what the one commentator says is that what happens is, what this writer of the Hebrews refers to is he's saying, your very normal activity can take on some supernatural godly meaning and purpose if you're doing it in the right way and for the right reasons. Your hospitality, which is an everyday thing, everybody's supposed to do it. Good cultures run on hospitality. We live in an African context where hospitality is a big deal. It should be common, but this common thing can become something infused with godly purpose and value if you do it as a believer. And so he's drawing us deeper. So there is this connection to the supernatural, the otherworldly thing that he does. That's why he's referencing 
the story of Genesis 18. But I think there's even a deeper reason why he's referencing the story of Genesis 18. Because the story of Genesis 18, on its first reading, on its sort of everyday level of reading, you think the one that was being hospitable in the story of Genesis 18 was Abraham. But if you read it with a little bit of deeper understanding, you understand that Abraham was actually the recipient of the hospitality. Because angels came from heaven to come and meet with him to extend godly hospitality to Abraham. He received it by being hospitable himself. And so the deeper message of the story is that God wants to show hospitality to us. And that's the point where for us as Christians, hospitality, philoxenia, becomes something more valuable than it can be for any other person on this earth. We have a deeper reason for hospitality. And that reason is, is, is referenced in Deuteronomy 10, verse 17 to 19. In Deuteronomy, it says the following, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourself were foreigners in Egypt. The reason you and I as Christians value hospitality is because we have received the ultimate hospitality. When I'm hospitable as a Christian in the name of Jesus, I am doing what I have received from Jesus. I was a foreigner, a stranger. I was one that was on the outside. And God said, I will bring you in. And so when I'm hospitable, it's the same heart that I try and show. I'm trying to show love to the outsider. Love to the one that does not have a safe place to say, come in, I will give you a safe place because that's what God did for me. That's what God did for me. So we have a deeper basis for hospitality. It's not just because it's expedient or practical or it's good manners or it's good culture. We are to be hospitable because God is hospitable. We have a far greater scope of hospitality we don't just show hospitality in a limited sense in terms of for one night or two nights. We have an hospitality that goes far broader than that because God's hospitality towards us is not just for one night or two nights. But His hospitality for us is to say, come in and live with me. Come in. We have this heart of hospitality that is stirred within us where we try and make home and space for the other, which includes the poor, the marginalized, the struggling. We have a, we have a reason to say, come, let us make you feel like you belong because that's what God did for us and continues to do for us. John Piper wrote an article called Strategic Hospitality. And in it, he says the following, when we practice hospitality, we experience the refreshing joy of becoming the conduits of hospitality rather than self-decaying cul-de-sacs. Through our hospitality, we can actually become the pipeline that, that, that connects to God. And we have received this extreme radical hospitality. And through us, this hospitality begins to flow into this dying, decaying 
world where everybody is made to feel like a stranger and an outsider. We say no. There's a bigger story. There's a, there's a greater narrative. Professor Steve Childers, who's a professor in church planting, was once asked, in a lecture, asked his students the following. He said, do you know what the key to evangelism in the 21st century will be? And his answer was hospitality. It is, perhaps in our day, as it has been, one of the most powerful tools of evangelism is hospitality. And it is the way that you can evangelize. Every single one of us is through hospitality. If we understand what it's about. Because when I'm hospitable as a believer, I'm doing this. I'm taking hold of somebody that feels like they don't belong. And I'm connecting them to the, to the adopter of their soul and saying, you have a father. You belong. That's evangelism, isn't it? Hospitality is a, is a practice for us believe, as believers, but it's a bit more than that. It's actually a spiritual discipline. It's something we should all be motivated naturally to do and by practice and discipline learn and be able to do ever increasingly well. So let me get a bit practical. How do you practice hospitality? Some ideas, some thoughts. As believers, how do we practice hospitality? Let me give you four practices of hospitality that you and I as individuals can do. The first thing is we invite people into our home. Invite people to come and spend time with you at your home. Now I know immediately you go, but we live in a scary time. I don't know if I want people into my home. Now obviously you have to be sensible, you have to be careful. You have to scream. Is this a stranger or is this an enemy? But we cannot adopt a lifestyle where my home becomes that place which is outside of God's ability to use for His purposes. Everything in my home belongs to whom? Who, does it, who gave me the chairs that I'm sitting on? Who gave me the cups, the plates, the knives and forks? Who gave me the milk in my fridge? All belongs to Him. So if I'm really a believer that says everything belongs to the Lord, I get to steward it, then I should have an open attitude that goes, this also belongs to the Lord. Can I invite people in? Natasha and I have had the privilege over all of our years, our almost 31 years of marriage, to have lived in community as, as, as single people and as a as, um, married couple. Live in community. To have had many people come and live. We right now have somebody living with us. Almost two people. The one just doesn't sleep there, but they eat every meal with us also. <laughs> and that means when I go home this afternoon, all I want to do is lie on my couch and watch some meaningless sport or something. And then that person is there. And, but it has been one of the greatest ways to continue to disciple somebody, to share, to give life to people. We invite people into our home. Natasha developed this, this philosophy from the early on in our married life. She said, listen, I want people in my house to feel comfortable, so we're never going to buy a set of glasses, a set of cup, a set of plates, because I don't want somebody to come and visit us, and then they break a glass, and then the whole set is ruined. 
So we have hardly anything that's alike. It's all just, you know, flea market stuff and whatever because the value is, now last Christmas I bought a, a nice plate, of set of 18 plates because we hardly ever have less than those amount of people eating with us that come out for special occasions and it's the first time, 30 years of marriage, that she's got a special set of plates. But it's been like, man, we have been blessed. And no matter what the conviction, our, friend, our children's friends are all sorts. All sorts in terms of, because we've taught our children to be missional. So they, they like share life with people that share very weird and different convictions to us. And the greatest way is to invite them. We have friends that are atheists. But when they come and eat at our table, they're going to pray with us. Because that's what we do. And I have never found one of them go, no, I'm not going to pray. Because they respect who we are. But, but we don't, we're not going to make it uncomfortable or difficult for them. And that's what we do as Christians. Because we, are, we have that philoxenia. We love the different. We love the outsider, the, the other. We're not afraid of them. Invite people into your home. Invite people into your spiritual home. Bring people to your spiritual home. Say, listen, I'm going to church on Sunday. Come with us to church. And after church, I'll take you for a meal and I'll pay for it. Because I want you to enjoy something of what I enjoy. Invite people into your spiritual home. Invite people to your community group. Invite people to your friendship group that shares around the scripture or whatever. Invite people to your spiritual home. Don't think that, oh, it's going to ups. No. If we are hospitable, it creates an environment. They don't, might not understand everything. They might not even like it. But it, it will speak of something. We're not afraid of the other. Let me ask you this question. Who's your other? As a Christian, who's your other? Who's different than you? It's the non-Christians. They are your other, my other. Our other is nobody else but the unbeliever. So we can't be afraid of them. Now I know I'm living as a Christian in this world and I'm trying to become more like Jesus. I'm trying to get rid of the worldly way of thinking, the worldly way of living like I spoke about last week. So at the same time as well, I'm trying to be a better believer and look, look more like Jesus and live more like Jesus and don't have sin that comes into my mind and my life. At the same time as I'm doing that, I'm supposed to be reaching out to the people that represent the old way that I used to live and still speak like that, still think like that and say to them, you are welcome. Come in. Isn't that a bizarre thought? You see, because we can become the Christian that says, Ooh, for whatever reason, we separate from the other. Now, there's common sense. There's things I'm not going to do as a believer, and I don't have to do to try and reach out to people. It's common sense. There's compromises I'm not prepared to make. But there's a lot of things that I can go and make my unbelieving friends feel welcome in my presence. Say, come on, I want you to know that I'm not threatened by you. I'm not afraid of you. Even if we have wholly different philosophies, even if you disagree vehemently, even if you campaign against some of the things that I believe and want to you know, vilify me and call me weird and wonderful names, I'm not, gonna, I'm not afraid of you. 
because I have a God that wasn't afraid of me. You know, I have a God that when he did the screening, he found out that I actually was the enemy. That I wanted to move into his house and change it to be like the way I wanted to be. I, I'm rebellious. I wanted to take his stuff away from him and make it mine. And that God wasn't afraid of me. He said, come in. Come on. And you don't have to stay one night or two nights. Stay as long as you want. Everything I have belongs to you. Take what you want. That's the God I have. That's the hospitality I've received. So invite people to your home. Invite people into your spiritual home. Eat together. Man, to be a like, well, you know, low body fat index Christian is a tough thing to do. I think every Christian that looks like Pastor William, it's genetic. <laughs> Everyone that looks like me, it's just life, man. It's just because everything we do around as Christians is around food, isn't it not? We eat together, we laugh, we celebrate because that's, I mean, the, the Bible says in heaven, what are we going to do? Feasting, eating. The best ice cream is going to grow on trees that you can have as much as you want. Because that's how God, he's like, I mean, Jesus goes to a wedding. He doesn't just make like standard variety box wine. He's like the best wine that took seven years to age in a barrel. He produced, it's like, I want you to feast because that's who we are. We eat. The Bible says, I'll, I'll, I'll prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Because guess what? If I know that God is on my side, I don't actually have something as an, like an enemy. Because I've got the highest authority on my side. Why should I be scared of anybody else? He's the king of kings. Eat together. Perhaps you can host a small group. Not everybody feels like they can lead a small group, but we've got many community groups that, that are hosted by people that they just are hospitable. And it changes the atmosphere. It makes everything possible. We, we want to be hospitable. Let me give you three ways of being hospitality, how we can be together be hospitable, how to practice hospitality corporately. And both of them were in the announcements. First of all, volunteer. This is our home, and we want people to come in here and feel welcome. Feel like we want them here. We don't want to worship with strangers. So therefore, every person that walks through that door is a potential friend. That's how we treat them. And we want them to know that. That's why we have volunteers that are here early in the morning. Making sure everything's ready. Staff and volunteers that prepare the place so that when you walk in, the temperature's already set. The chairs are nicely packed. There's people welcoming you. There's coffee that's being made. Everything so that you can say, these people expected me. They want me to be here. I don't want you to feel like, oh, sorry, I'm imposing. Because then we're not doing our job of representing the kingdom. But that takes volunteers. The musicians. Is a, is a way that we create a space to say, come on in. Come and have fun with us. Come and worship God with us. Even if you don't know the song, even if you don't, if you've, if you don't understand this weird karaoke thing that we do every Sunday, if it's completely foreign and new to you, you'll quickly catch on. Just, we're going to do it. Because we are hospitable. So volunteer. Find a way. If you're not volunteering, 
or you can't volunteer, be welcoming. I know some of you, you have your same seat that you sit in every Sunday. I see all of you from here. Don't think that I don't see. I see you. I see your facial. I, those that fall asleep, I see you. I try not to look at you, but I see you. And I know some of you, you have the same seat. And then some Sunday, some visitor that does not understand the protocol will come and sit in your seat. And then I've seen some of you like a good Christian. You go stand by them and you're like. Don't you know this is my seat? I sit here every Sunday. What are you doing in my seat? No, we don't do that. We say, hey, I'm so glad you found a great seat. This is a fantastic seat. What time are you planning to be here next week? <laughs> but we welcome people. This is, this is our space, like I said a couple of weeks ago, that we get to prepare so that people can come and feel something of what it feels like to be in God's presence. And so be welcoming, be friendly. If, you know, some, some people... They walk up to the church and, and you can see the sin in their lives. Some sins are just a bit more hidden. Some sins are a bit more obvious. We don't go, hmm. Okay, steal yourself now. Where's my children? I was like, mm. We say, come on in. We have a problem sometimes with, with them wanting to steal cars in our parking lot. Now, we need to be responsible and safe and to be as reasonable as we can, but we can never close the church's gates and begin to say, no. We have to, it's the thing that puts us in a difficult space, isn't it? Because we always want to be hospitable. We always want to say, there's nobody that is outside of our wanting to extend hospitality to them. Come in. So be welcoming. Go on an outreach. Now, when I say go on an outreach, we have, like we mentioned, we have outreaches where you can go on that's organized. Go on one of those. But do an outreach. Organize your own outreach. Tomorrow when you go to work, this is your outreach. Look for the people that are the outsiders. The ones that are not included in the conversations. The one that never gets the invite. The one that is just outside. And start saying, I'm going to go on an outreach. Because that's what God did for me. I'm going to go look for the outsider. I'm going to go look for the marginalized, the poor, the rejected, the vulnerable. And I'm going to go find a way to show them hospitality. Go on an outreach. Perhaps you can't invite people into your home. Perhaps there's a few steps, but buy them a cup of coffee. Sit with them somewhere anywhere and just say, I, want to, I just bought you a cup of coffee. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Just let's go on outreach. Let's look for people to say, come on in. We want to turn strangers into guests and guests into friends. That's the way we live. That's the way we want to, to do things. Now, my two last, last points. How do we pay for this? Because I don't know if you know this, but hospitality is expensive. Not, I mean, financially, it for sure is expensive, but not even just financially. Time, energy, reputation, risk, vulnerability, it costs. How do we pay for this? How do we resource this? The writer of the Hebrews speaks about that in verse 5. He says this, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. 
Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Can you see the extreme hospitality of God that says, I'm always going to be with you. And you know where God is, his provision follows. Perhaps not that all of us are going to drive Ferraris. Which, by the way, it's very difficult to be hospitable in a Ferrari. You can only squeeze one other person, a rather short person. I can't even take Jason for a drive if I had a Ferrari. But God will be there. I don't have to fear that I'm somehow going to do myself in. Now, again, there's wisdom. There's, you know, common sense. But I've been the recipient of hospitality that I know I've been with people that it was the last food in their cupboard they gave me. I know that that chicken that was running around in the yard was the last chicken they had, and they fed that to me. I know for a fact that when I left there, they had nothing for the next day. How can Christians do that? Because my God will never leave me nor forsake me. My God is, is my provider. Everything He gives me is a seed. Not just for provision on earth, but a seed towards the eternal. I have the opportunity. My old couch can become a place where somebody can experience something of what eternity with the Father is going to feel like. Wow. Wow. So how do we resource this? Hebrews 13. How do we stay motivated for this? Because let me tell you, this takes a lot. You can do it in your own strength for a little while, and then you're like, I'm done. I'm so done with people. I'm like, I just want to get home, and there's nobody eating my food. He, Hebrews 13, 11 to 14. Tells us this little bit of a weird angle it takes now. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For, we were, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. What is he saying? Now this is the truth. The radical hospitality that we received happened like this. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one that creates everything, to whom everything belongs, came down to earth and lived among us to an extend an invitation to us to say, come, I want you to live with me. He had no fault. He never hurt anybody. He never did an unkind thing to anybody. Yet, we showed him the extremest what, lack of hospitality you could ever show somebody. We said to him, you don't belong among us. You're the other. You have no place here. And so we took him outside of the city. We didn't bring him in and say, come, we'll feed you, we'll clothe you. We'll give you a safe place to stay, spend the night. We said, no, you don't belong here. We took him outside the city. We beat him to death. We hung him on a cross and we cursed him. And so we showed him the highest level of, of just hatred and xenophobia that you can show anybody. But he allowed it. Why? So that us that actually is, deserve that xenophobia can experience his xenophilia. 
his love for the other. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I, Jesus, was taken outside so that you can come inside for eternity. Jesus was rejected so that you can be accepted. He took the screening on your behalf because you actually shouldn't be brought into the city because you will destroy the city. But Jesus said, I welcome you in. Because if you learn to live with me, it will change you. It will make you different. It will restore to you that which you were created to be. Come in. Come and live with me. Come and dwell with me. Not just one night, not just two nights, but forever, for always. Come and live. That's why he ends with this verse, or I end with this verse. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. This earth is not our home. We mistake we make big mistakes, big errors when we start treating this, ho- this world like our home. This is not our home. No matter where you feel the most at home on this earth, it is not your home. I feel pretty comfortable in my house. It's more or less organized around my value system, our family's value system, the things we like, the comforts we like, the pleasures we like. It's in our house. It's our space. And I'm thankful to God that he's given that to us. But let me tell you, not even that is my home where I can completely come to rest and feel comfortable. One of the realities is my home keeps on changing. I have to keep on working hard to keep it the way I want it. Not only does it need maintenance and does it deteriorate, but the people within it keep changing. Some of them should be going quicker, but never mind. But just when you get it comfortable, your children start leaving and then they start bringing other people to your house. It keeps on changing. It keeps on, nothing in this world is actually the place where we can go, this is home. We are travelers that is always looking for our home to come. We are going to one day build a city and live in a city where we will be at home. Right now, We get to recreate some of that and invite people on earth to come and experience, but ultimately to come with us to the eternal city where we will live with our Father. Because actual fact, home for us is not a place. It is a location with God in the middle of it. Where He is, that's where we are at home. And so the stuff on this earth we can hold lightly. We appreciate it. We need to be good stewards of it. I need to look after I need to look after my family. I need to make sure that they've got a safe place, a comfortable place. That's what the scripture says. But all of that is to represent a higher ideal, something greater. I love Ephesians 2.19. Worship guys, will you join me? Ephesians 2.19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. That's your home. You are members of God's household. I'm a member of God's household. And God gave you the right to invite anybody else you want to come and be part of the household. And that's what we love to do. So through hospitality, we impact this world. You tomorrow can impact this world through your hospitality. In whatever space. Because that's the heart we have. I'm going to ask you to stand with me.
Can we, first of all, today just recognize, and can you, just in your own language, in your own heart, your own way that's appropriate for you, just say, thank you, Father, for your hospitality towards me. Thank you that you went on an outreach and to go come looking for me, that you found me on the outside and you brought me in. I didn't deserve it, but you brought me home. Say thank you, Jesus, just in your own words. Just thank him for a moment. Just say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And let's, let, then let's say thank you, Father, that I can reflect that. I can represent you in that way to others. We've all had bad experiences. We've all had people abuse our hospitality. We've all had people mistreat us. We all have fear. We all have you know, real issues with in our nation. But I pray, Lord, that you would help us to not develop xenophobia, but to have philoxenia, Lord. To love the outsider. To love the other. To find appropriate ways to extend the welcome. To show people they have a space where they belong. And so, Lord, today we give you everything that we have. Now, I can't do that on your behalf. and I don't want to put words in your mouth. But to the level that you feel stirred by the Holy Spirit, won't you just right now say, Lord, I give you my stuff. I give you my money. I give you my time. I give you my energy. I give you my reputation. My vulnerability. I give it all to you and I say, Lord, Help me to take the next step. Perhaps I can't scale this mountain in one step, but I can, I can move forward. Come Holy Spirit. And then I want to pray for people that are here today on radio or on, on online with us. And you've experienced this lack of hospitality in this world. You constantly feeling like you're the outsider. Like you don't belong, like there's no space for you. And perhaps you're trying so hard that you, that you have become so desperate that you've actually become hard to, uh, to host because you're so desperate. Can I pray for you today? Just for a peace to know that you have a home, that you do belong, that you are included. That you have a place at the table of the Father that says, you are now a member of my household. That you can relax. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. For just right now, I pray for a healing of the Holy Spirit. Just receive the healing. We've all experienced being treated badly. But some perhaps more than others. Let's say, Lord, thank you for your healing today in Jesus' name. Thank you that you are my healer. That you are the restorer of my soul. Thank you that I have a, a safe place to sleep. That you have prepared a meal for me. And that I don't have to leave in the morning. Thank you, Jesus. And then, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to extend that to others as we've received. 
If you're here today, you're hearing this message and you've never accepted the welcome of Jesus. You've never come into his household and made his, his home your home. And I'm, as I end the service, I'm going to pray for you and say, come to the front. And come and, and let somebody pray with you. And, and in that way, just extend the welcome to you to say, you belong. Just come and tell them. Say, I, I want to come home today. Lord, I pray for anybody, whether that's online, on the radio, here in the room, anybody that needs to come home. I pray right now for the release, for the working of your spirit, for your grace upon their lives, for a, for a freedom right now to come and to come home in Jesus' name. Come home in Jesus' name. Come to the place that has been prepared for you, that belongs to you. It's only for you. Come home. And then lastly, I pray that we will be a community that will take hospitality to the next level, Lord. And be a place that represents your heart. And I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, for your grace. I speak a blessing over us for this day, for this week, over every father. May you go with us. May you strengthen us. May you provide for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer this morning, you're also so welcome to come to the front and let, us, let our team pray with you. Remember that you can go to the Connect Lounge to find out about being part of this community. And also remember the community group sign-ups if you want to just try that out and be part of a community group. May the Lord bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday lunch. All the dads particularly. I hope that it's done for you today. Like I hope for myself. So uh, bless you. Appreciate every one of you. Have a wonderful week.